Amen. Well, good morning again. Welcome to Alpine Church. Thanks to the worship team for leading us in worship this morning. We are just so glad that you're here. My name is Joel Daly. I'm the lead pastor here if we haven't met. We're just so glad that you're here. I want to reiterate what Trevor said and just uh, welcome you if this is your first time with us today. We're so glad that you're here. And also, if you are a student, grades 7 to 12, you're invited to go up to uh, the youth room upstairs and uh, for the rest of the service so that you don't need, have to listen to me talk uh, for the rest of the time. I think that's the main motivation, but uh, you're welcome to do that. And then also, uh, you know, one of the things, one of our biggest priorities here at Alpine Church is connection. We really believe in connecting outside of a Sunday morning. Uh, if you come Sunday, that's great. You're going to grow. You're going to learn. That's, that's fine. But uh, even more so, you're going to learn and grow in your relationship with God and with others through a small group. And so we're doing this small group push uh, starting in February, the first Sunday, I believe it's February 6th, and we're going to encourage you for the six weeks to join a small group as we go through the book of Ephesians. That's what we're going to do in our next series here at uh, Alpine. We're going to go through the book of Ephesians one chapter at a time, and so uh, go to alpinechurch.org to look at all of our groups, see what works best for you. We actually have groups that meet in person or online, so uh, be sure to do that. Well, we're going to continue this morning in the series that we started last week through looking at the Trinity. Now, the Trinity, you're not going to find that word anywhere in the Bible. It's explaining a concept in the Bible in that God exists in the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's describing the nature of God. Now, the nature of God, as we, as we saw last week, that this is the definition for the Trinity, that there's one God, so we would say there's one being who exists eternally in three persons. So what this is saying is that there's one God, and he displays himself to us in three persons, but these three persons are eternal. They're all, no, none of them were created Okay, none of, none of them uh, are subject to the other members. They're all equally fully God. Now, this is a, a paradox as we looked at. This is kind of hard for us to wrap our minds around, right? Because that seems like a contradiction, but it's actually not a contradiction. And my prayer through this series is as we learn about the Trinity, as we learn about how God operates in and of himself, that we wouldn't uh, try to figure God out to put him in a box, but that we would look at God in awe and wonder and that our response to him would be worship. That's my prayer for all of us. But today we're going to focus specifically on that first part of the definition, which is there is one God. This is our main focus today. Now, this is kind of a controversial statement, right? To ever say that there's one of something, like there's only one God, that means that what we're saying is that there are no other gods, so there's one God, but we're also saying that there are no other gods. And this is kind of like, you know, when I think of uh, something that I'm also passionate about, which is chicken sandwiches, you know, there's only one true chicken sandwich, and it's the original chicken sandwich at Chick-fil-A. Okay, yeah, amen, amen. That's what I, I, I've tried Popeye's, I've tried Zaxby's, I've tried Burger King. Oh, man, that was awful. There's only one sandwich worth having, and it belongs to Chick-fil-A. But this is controversial, right? 
I mean, I'm so sure some of you are like, well, I like Zaxby's. I, I like uh, Raising Cane's. I'm excited to try theirs. But I guarantee you, by faith, it's not as good as Chick-fil-A's, the Lord's chicken sandwich. Um, but, you know, this is controversial. This is, in a world that says you believe what you believe and your truth is your truth, what we're saying is something actually pretty, pretty bold, pretty maybe offensive. And the last thing that I want to do personally is offend you. I don't want you to be offended, but, but what I do want to do is teach what the Bible says. And the Bible communicates time and time again that there's one God. You see, our first value here at Alpine Church is that we look to God and his word in all we do. You know, when you walk through those doors and you see all those posters, if you've seen them, the first one in the top left corner is that we look to God and his word and all we do because it's not about our opinions. It's not about what we think or feel or, or want truth to be. Truth is truth. It doesn't change. And we believe that true, 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 true truth, that's hard to say, ultimate truth, I should say, is found in God's word. And so that's why we look at, even in the subjects that may be a little bit uh, offensive or uh, maybe hard to hear, we're going to stand firm on Scripture and teach it to the best of our ability. You can count on that each and every week. You know, and the definition of God, I think this is interesting. We should think through, what, who is God? Like, what does God even, what does that word even mean? The word God actually means a, a divine supreme being. Over everything else, when you're supreme, just like the original chicken sandwich, it's above everything else, right? God is the supreme creator, sustainer of the universe, the only one. And the cool thing is that God has a name. God has a name. And and time and time again, when you read the word Lord in your Bible, that's translated from the Hebrew word Yahweh. That's God's name. That's what, and Yahweh means the existing one. The existing one. God is, has been, and will always be. He's eternal. We'll talk about that in just a little bit. But as we look at God's word and what it has to say, I, my prayer again is that we would see Yahweh as the one true God. So before we do that this morning, let's just pray one more time together. God, we just thank you, Lord, for bringing all of us together. God, I know that everyone is here for a reason. No one's here by accident, and even though we're all on different journeys, Lord, I pray that you would reveal yourself to us in a brand new way, God, that we would have a hunger and a thirst for you to know who you are and to worship you. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we go to the Bible, this is the first thing that we need to know about this one God. The Trinity starts with the concept that's deeply rooted in the Jewish scriptures, that there is only one God. Now, the Jewish scriptures is basically the Old Testament, but even more, or yeah, the Old Testament, but even more so, it's the first five books of the Old Testament, which is called the Pentateuch. Penta is five, right? So the first five books of the Bible really reveal Genesis, Exodus, all of those, who God is. And this is a prayer that the Jewish people prayed over and over and over again their whole life, and they still pray today. Listen, O Israel, The Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Now this prayer, if you were with us uh, about a year and a half ago, we, d- we went through the Shema, which is a prayer that, these, that God's people have prayed for centuries. And this is the way that it starts. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You see, it's affirming right from the very beginning that the Lord is God. And why is this 
at the beginning? Well, it's because we tend to, as people, make other things God. We try to elevate other things, that put other things in the place that only God should take in our lives. You know, uh, a lot of times in the Old Testament, there would be... uh, nations and they would war against each other because they had these different gods and they said well my god's superior to yours and they said well no my god's superior and then they would fight but see the truth is is that any other god but Yahweh which is a a lowercase g in the bible if you're reading is is like my phone okay my phone I could say that this is god all day long and it doesn't make it any more god than what it is, which is zero. (laughs) It's zero percent God. And we could worship it, and we could do sacrifices to my phone, but it wouldn't make it any more God. One of my favorite stories kind of displaying this truth is of Elijah in 1 Kings 18. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to to flip there and to look at this story. We're going to hit the highlights of it. But I love this story because really it's Elijah who's representing the God of the Bible, Yahweh, against this false god, Baal. And they're going to do a competition. And this is, what, this is what Elijah says to these prophets. He says, if the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. You see, this, this argument was over whose God was really God. See, the prophets of Baal were saying their God was. Elijah is saying, okay, well, if, if that's true then you follow him. But if it's true that our God is truly who he is, then follow him. And so they do this competition. And uh, this competition, you need to know as well that Elijah is just by himself representing Yahweh. And then there's 450 of these prophets representing Baal. So Elijah's pretty bold, right? Like it's pretty bold to go one against 450, right? I don't know that many of us would do that, but Elijah is so sure that he's right and they're wrong that he's willing to do this. And so this is what, they, this is what he says, this competition that's going to take place. Then call on the name of your God and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by setting fire to the wood is the true God, and all the people agreed. So they go up to this mountain, they make this altar, they put this firewood and put this sacrifice on there, and they say, okay, whoever's God burns this sacrifice up is the true God. And so Elijah says, since it's 450 against one, you guys can go first, and we'll see how you do. So they, they start praying, and they start chanting, and they start trying to will Baal to do something to burn this sacrifice up. And uh, the funny thing about this story is Elijah, I kind of imagine him like, you know, off to the side, kind of arms crossed, and just like taunting them. Because he says, you know, where is your God? Why, why isn't he burning up this, this fire? Maybe he went on vacation. Maybe he's taking a nap. Maybe he's in the bathroom, right? He, he literally, Elijah says this, When it's 450 against one. So he's pretty bold. But all the people agreed to this. And so they're going crazy. They're cutting themselves. And then nothing happens. And so now it's Elijah's turn. And I'm sure all of the prophets of Baal were like, oh, please let nothing happen with him too, right? So at least it's a draw. At least we don't have to be humiliated. But Elijah goes. But before he goes, he says, you know what? I want you to pour three big buckets of water over this altar. And if you know anything about fire, 
you don't want to pour water on something if you're trying to light it on fire, right? Like that's not what you would do. You want it to be dry. But Elijah says, no, pour this water all over the altar, drench it. And then when the time comes, Elijah prays, God incinerates the entire sacrifice, it, 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 everything, the water included. And then this is the response of the people. It says in verse 39, it says, And when the people saw it, they fell face down on the ground and cried out, The Lord, Yahweh, He is God. Yes, the Lord is God. You know, so many times we see in the Bible, if you read the Bible, you see these people worshiping these false gods, these false idols. And time and time again, Yahweh comes through and proves that He alone is God. And then people fall face down, right? And they repent and they say, you know what? No, Baal isn't anything. He's a figment of our imagination. Yahweh is God, Alone. And the, the New Testament actually, it backs up this claim that there's only one God. It says this in Romans 3. Paul says, there is only one God, and he makes people right with himself only by faith. Again, another kind of inclusive, uh, controversial statement. Whether they are Jews or Gentiles. So regardless of who you are, you're made right by faith by one God. And that's it. So... Jesus, it's important to know this, we know that there's one God. We know that. We could spend a half an hour today looking through verses that just say there's one God, there's one God, there's one God. I probably said it 50 times by this point, right? But we also know that God exists in three persons. Okay, so this is where, this is where the, the Trinity comes into play. One God Existing in three persons. Each person of the Trinity is fully God. Okay, and they always have been fully God. This is what the Bible says. Jesus is not the Father. The Father is, is not the Son. The Spirit is not the Son. The Spirit is not the Father, right? They're distinct beings. And so it's easy to say, well, there's just three gods. And that's what some people have done because this is called tritheism. And it's a heresy. A heresy is anything that uh, goes against what the Bible says that misses the oneness of God, teaching that there are three distinct gods who work closely together. Now, I'll be honest with you. This would be easier for me to explain to you if this is what the Bible said. It'd be easier for me to say, you know what, there's just three gods, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and, and that's it, right? That, that's, that's who God is. They're all fully God. They're all one in purpose, in motivation, and all of that stuff. But you see, again, that, that's the hard truth of what the Bible is saying. It's saying that there's one God in three persons, not, not three beings and three separate gods. There's one God in three persons, distinctly, work, distinctly uh, working together. You know, this heresy hardly ever shows up really in uh, Christianity because, again, when you look at the Bible, you see it so clearly. It's like you can't get past the fact that there's just one God. You, you, you'd have to ignore so many verses in the Bible. You see, maybe what, what maybe hits some of us closer to home is this is a very popular belief in the state of Utah, 
that there are three gods. There are three distinct gods, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Maybe we have family who believe this. Maybe you have friends who believe this, that there are three gods that are working closely together. But this is what the Bible says in Isaiah 43. This is a great verse. But you are my witnesses, O Israel, says the Lord. You are my servant. You have been chosen to know me, believe in me, and understand that I alone am God. And then this is great. There is no other God. There never has been, and there never will be. I, yes, I am the Lord, and there is no other Savior. This is so good. And this is an absolute statement, once for all time. It's not saying just to the Israelites that 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 God is just the Israelites' God. It's saying that I, Yahweh, am the God of the universe. There are no other gods. There never has been, and there never will be any other gods. Now, again, this is a paradox Three, three persons, one being. I want to help. I feel like last week Ross used basically every analogy and illustration in the world. But I have one I think he didn't use to kind of try to help us uh, wrap our minds around this. And it's all about a matter of perspective to me. So I have this, I have this two-dimensional plane here, right? We see this two-dimensional plane. And then we see three separate things, three separate circles, right? And so a lot of us would say, well, that's three separate beings. Those are three individual things. But when you take a look at it in a different perspective, when we go to 3D and look at this, we turn our plane like this, and it looks like this. And no, God's not a Lego. That's not what I'm saying. But you see, from one perspective, from the perspective of of the two-dimensional, we saw three distinct things, right? So it's easy, well, yeah, that, that makes sense to us. But we need to understand that God is not on the same dimension. He's not on the same level that we are. And so when you take a look at this in just one dimension higher, you see, okay, well, yeah, there is one being displayed from our perspective as three distinct things. Now, what I'm not trying to do is, uh, if, and if you don't understand this, uh, come talk to me. I'll try to explain it a little bit more. But, but the point of showing you this is not to try to, again, figure God out or put God in some kind of a box, because the truth is, is that we'll never, this side of heaven, truly understand the glory and the character and, and the nature of who God is. We just never will. And that's why it says in Isaiah that his thoughts are higher than our thoughts and his ways are higher than our ways. And for some people, they struggle with that. But see, that's why we talk so much here about faith. We talk about faith because faith is believing in things unseen, believing in things yet to come. And we all have faith, all of us. We have faith that when we, when we turn on a light switch that the light's going to come on, right? We, we have faith that that's going to happen. And that when we flip it down, that the light's going to turn off. And we have faith in who God is as revealed in his word. But this illustration is to show us, really the main thing it's supposed to show us is that God is completely other than we are. We, we will never comprehend God being one, but yet displaying himself as three. But why does it matter, I, as, we, as we come to our last point, why does it matter? Right? Why does it matter that there's just one God? Why does the Bible stand so firm on this stance that there's only one God, Yahweh? Well, it's because the existence of only one God, it helps us to make sense of three things. Humanity, 
morality, and eternity. These three things. And we're going to look at this. So in the ancient world, speaking first of humanity, each nation, each people had its own God. As we looked at, the prophets of Baal had Baal, right? They had that, that nation's God was Baal. The Israelites was Yahweh. There's so many Asherah, all of these gods that we read about in the Old Testament. Every nation had these gods, and they would constantly look down and uh, really, I mean, be really brutal to other nations if they believed in a different god. But this is what Acts says, and this is such a good message for us today in the 21st century. Acts 17, it says, From one man he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. That word man, from one man, it could be said from one blood, he created all the nations. And what this is saying is that every single person in the world, whether you're here in Roy, Utah, slash West Haven, or you're in sub-Saharan Africa, Every person was created from one man, from one blood, all the nations through the world. And so this should teach us that every person has an innate value and worth because of who their maker is. Not because of what they've done, not because of what any of us have done, but our value comes from who made us. Here, I'm a violinist. Here are two violins. You know, they're really similar. There's, there's a, you know, the, this one has a chin rest. It's where you put your chin, okay? Um, but, you know, you look at these pictures, and you're like, okay, yeah, I mean, they, they've got all the same components, you know. They've got all the, you know, tuning pegs, the strings, all of that stuff. They're both made out of wood. But the one on the right is worth maybe 150 to $200, give or take. I mean, that, and that's not, you know, pocket change. The one on the left is worth upwards of $16 million, right? These two things that are like so similar, why is one worth so much more than the other? Well, because one was made by a machine and the other one was made by Stradivari, who made Stradivarius violins in the, in the 16th century, 18th century, sorry. I should know that. I was a music major. Um, but they're worth that, it's worth that much because of who it was made by. You know, God made every single one of us, regardless of our race or our age or our job or our lifestyle choices, God made all of us. And so we have, because of who our maker is, we have innate worth and value. It helps us to make sense that there is one God, one creator of all things, including you and I, helps us to make sense of humanity and how we should view humanity, that we're no better than anyone else. We're all created by the same creator. The second thing is that it helps us to make sense of morality. You know, in a, I think in, the, in this culture today, we live in uh, your truth is your truth, your morality is your morality, and we'll just go with that. We'll agree to disagree, even if they contradict. If they contradict, we just won't talk to each other because there's no way to figure it out who's right or wrong, right? But isn't it so comforting that because there's one God, there is one ultimate moral truth, one ultimate moral code, that none of us will ever truly get right, 
this side of heaven. So let's be humble and believe that, that, that we're broken just like everyone else is broken. But there's one God, which means there's one moral truth. This is what Psalm 119 verse 160, it says, The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. You see, morality comes from the nature of who God is. And the nature of who God is is, is God is loving, right? It says in 1 John that God is love. God is compassionate. God is merciful. God is, is gracious. He's forgiving. God stands up for people who are oppressed, right? He, God is just and fair. This is morality. This comes from the character of who God is. So there, if there were many gods, again, there, everyone would have their own morality, right? But the truth is, is that there being one God is good news because we're all under the same standard, of God's moral truth, which is based in his character. And then the last is that it helps us make sense of eternity, there being one God. You know, this life is but a blip on the eternal scale. I mean, we can't even fully, again, talk about not understanding the Trinity. We can't understand eternity. What does it mean to be outside of time that, that we, you know, like it's 10, 1142 now and in just a minute it's going to be 1143 and then 1144 and time continues to move. But with God, he's outside of time. God's eternal. He wasn't created. He'll never end. We, that blows your mind when you think about it, right? How can that be? But it helps us to make sense of eternity because there's one God who made us, who created us. There's one God who saves us as well. Ephesians 4, 5 and 6, it says, There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. You know, we, we believe because... This is what we feel like the Bible teaches at Alpine Church, that there's not many roads to God. God is gracious beyond our comprehension. God is loving beyond our comprehension. But the Bible says very clearly that there's one way to have a relationship with God, the God of the Bible. And that's through faith in Jesus. And Jesus said this. He said this in John 14. You probably know this verse. Six and seven, Jesus answered when they're talking about eternity. He said, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. We could do a whole series on just these verses, right? This is, there's so much in here. But what Jesus is saying here is that the way to relationship with God, with Yahweh, is through relationship with me. Because again, paradoxically, we are one. It says, from now on, you do know him and have seen him. Jesus was the embodiment of God. Jesus, again, Emmanuel means God with us, God incarnate. God came to the, to the earth in human form through the person of Jesus Christ. And why did he come? He came to save us from our sin, that we were incapable of taking care of, that we were incapable of, of even beginning. We could never do enough good or good things to earn our way to God's favor and love. And so God sent Jesus, God sent himself, 
humbly to the earth to take our sin, to take our shame, to die on a cross for us. And that's the gospel. That's the good news. Jesus, you know, this, this is a very inclusive, uh, or a, sorry, a very exclusive statement, right? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm it. You know, this is another paradox in Christianity. It's like the most inclusive thing. Anyone can have faith in Jesus. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you're going to do. Anyone, regardless of who you are, can, can come to know Christ as their Savior and spend an eternity with Him. But it's also so exclusive because what it's saying is, is that He is the only way to life with God in eternity. Jesus is the only way. And so I pray, you know, as we continue in this series again, that we're going to learn, we're going we're gonna to learn about God's nature and who he is. But at the end of the day, it comes down to, do you know Christ? Do you know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior in your life? It doesn't mean that you're going to be perfect. You never will be. It doesn't mean that you're, you're going to, you know, never have trials. You will. But what it does mean is that you're on the path with Jesus to eternal life with him, and that, again, is available to anyone who would put their trust and faith in the finished work of the cross. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for creating us. We thank you for, for loving us and for providing for us, even, Lord, when we don't always see that. God, we know that, that you're working uh, for the good of everyone, really, Lord. Um, God, who put their trust and their faith in you. We thank you for that, God. We thank you that we, that we don't have to earn your love or earn our salvation, God, that you've given us a gift by faith because of your grace. Lord, and I pray that every person in here would experience you personally, God, that, that there's so many things that we can tend to elevate into your place, money, friendships, family, God, not bad things, but just things that aren't you, God, because you deserve first place in our lives for so many reasons. God, I pray that you would help, again, every person in here, regardless of where they're at on their journey in faith, to take the next step. Lord, maybe someone's in here and they, they're hearing this news for the first time, or maybe someone's in here and they've been coming for a long time and Maybe just something, God, today you revealed yourself in a different way and you showed them, God, that you are the way, you are the truth, you are the life, God, and we won't have eternity in heaven without you. And so, God, we, we pray, God, that you would reign over it as you're going to. Reign over it all, God, because we can't understand, we can't fathom who you are. We can't fathom even sometimes the things that you do or allow to happen, Lord, but we pray that we would have faith to believe that you're good, to believe that you love us, and God, that we would see what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Lord, as we end the service today, again, I, I pray that you would encourage all of us, God, that in this chaotic world that we would go out and that we would uh, just really more fully honor you and trust you through the power of the Spirit, Lord. And again, if there's someone in here who doesn't know you, that they would come to know you today by grace through faith. And pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.